Welcome to The Upward Journey, the podcast ministry of Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina. If you Google, who is Jesus, then you'll get about 1,420,000,000 different search results. Probably safe to say that people want to know who Jesus really is. Was he really God's son? Was he a man, but a great teacher? Was he even real, or a made-up story to push an agenda? And these are just some of the most common questions asked about him. But what if we could really know for sure? What difference would it make in our lives? We explore these questions and more in our current series, Who is Jesus? Let's continue the Upward Journey. Well, good morning, Upward. How are we doing today? Oh, man, you are looking good. Just in case nobody's told you today, you are looking good today. You're welcome. Some of you are saying, hey, I needed that. Others of you are saying, hey, I already knew that. So that's okay. Either way. Hey, in case we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Greg. Uh, I serve as one of the pastors on staff here at Upward, and I'm excited to share with you today. Excited to have you with us today. Excited to have our online audience with us today as well. Joining us from wherever you're joining us at today, we are so glad that you've chosen to be here with us today. Uh, Also want to take a quick moment to say thank you to all of you that came down, came out yesterday for our summer throwdown yesterday. Oh man, that was so great, so exciting. Thanks to all of our staff and volunteers to help make yesterday such an amazing day. I've had a couple people come and ask me today, uh, so if you know, you know, uh, I have started to warm up a little bit since yesterday, so I appreciate that very much. If you were here, you know what we're talking about. If you don't, uh, ask somebody else, because I'm not talking about it anymore, all right? Um, But uh, we are so excited to be able to continue today with our series that we've been going uh, with the last several weeks called Who is Jesus? Question for you this morning. How many of you remember playing the game uh, Guess Who as a child? Anybody remember playing that? Maybe you played it with your kids or anything like that. Hey, uh, if you've never played before, uh, basically what happens is for two people and you get a little game piece that looks like this and you've got about 30 random people that they made up that are on there and you get, uh, you get a contraption that looks like this. Your opponent does as well. And then there's a random stack of cards and so you pick one of those cards on the top and then that's who you're going to be for that round and your opponent does the same thing. And then you begin to ask questions back and forth. You alternate turns, uh, basically asking questions, yes or no questions, that'll help to describe who you are. You might ask a question like, does your person have long hair? Uh, Do you wear glasses? Things like that. And you try to eliminate all the wrong people so that you can figure out who your opponent is. Um, My family loves to play this game, specifically uh, my youngest daughter, Faith. She'll say, Daddy, Daddy, can we play Guess Who? I'm like, yeah, sure, sweetie, we'll play Guess Who. And so we'll get everything set up, and we'll get ready to start playing. And then we'll go through, start asking a couple of questions. And then I'll say something like, uh, does your person wear a hat? And she'll say, no, Daddy, my person does not wear a hat. All right, sounds good. So I put down all the people who wear a hat, right? Um, Well, then about three or four questions later, she'll say something like this. Oh, Daddy, I am so sorry. Uh, My person does have a hat. So, so I'm sitting there like, man, we're, we're three or four questions past that last one. I've got no clue who she is at this point. So I've got to randomly guess trying to figure out who her person is. And what I've discovered is, is that it's really hard to know who somebody is when you don't get the right description, right? Um, you know, even, even when it comes to meeting somebody new for the very first time, if, some, if you had never met me before and somebody said, hey, you're gonna, you need to meet Greg, he's a great guy, uh, what you're going to do is you're going to look for somebody who's got long hair and big bulging muscles. And then, 
hold up, time out. <laughs> Wait, you laughed way too hard at that moment right there, okay? That wasn't, that wasn't funny because when you meet me, you're going to be like, oh, I see the muscles, but where's the hair, right? I mean, that's, that's, the, that's the bad part. We get the wrong description. It's kind of hard to know who somebody is. And unfortunately, I think that that has happened when it comes to our faith as well. That oftentimes, we've gotten the wrong description of who Jesus is, and therefore we failed to meet the real Jesus. Maybe we got the wrong description uh, because of some teaching that we got, or maybe we got the wrong description because we described him in a way that we wanted him to be, or tried to fit him into our own little box, instead of actually looking to discover who he genuinely, truly is. And that's what I've loved about this series that we've been going through the last several weeks is that we haven't allowed our preconceived notions to get in the way. We just simply have been looking at who Jesus really is. And what we've done is we've looked at somebody who knew Jesus really, really well. We looked at, uh, looked at the disciple John. And John spent about three years with Jesus every waking moment, right? He was with him uh, from the time the sun came up till the time the sun went down. He saw him when other people were, were around him. And then he also saw him when nobody else was around as well. Uh, John is described as the disciple whom Jesus loved. So that would indicate that they were really close. He was also the one that was standing beside uh, Jesus' mother's side uh, when Jesus had gone to the cross. Uh, after news had come forth that uh, Jesus' body was no longer in the tomb, uh, the word says that, that John beat Peter in a foot race to be able to get to the tomb to be able to investigate the scene for himself. So John wasn't perfect, but when it comes to getting a good description as to who Jesus really is, John is somebody that we can listen to. And so we've been looking at John chapter 1, just the first 18 verses in there, and we've started going through and getting this really good picture, this really good description of who Jesus is. In week one, we discovered uh, that Jesus is the God of the whole world, who's both personal and eternal. We discovered that, that Jesus is the God who created the whole world, who is both life and light. In week three, we discovered that Jesus is the light, and we are the lamp. And then last week, Pastor Andy shared with us that Jesus is the rejected Messiah, who became our redeeming Savior. And so today, we are just going to pick up right there where Pastor Andy left off, and we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verse 14. We've only got one verse that we're going to look at today, but it is packed with some amazing truths. And so I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand to your feet, as we've been doing the last several weeks, as we read God's Word together. Uh, you're just going to show honor and reverence towards God's Word to get together today. It's John chapter 1, verse 14, and here's what it says. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Let's do that one more time together, guys. That was beautiful. Let's do it one more time. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And as we are looking at this verse together today, the, the description that we're going to look at, that we're going to keep coming back to, is this right here. Jesus is the God who became a man who is full of both grace and truth. Father, today we pray and we ask that you would speak to our hearts. That God, together as we dive into your word, that it would speak to us. That it would change us. That it would shape our view and our vantage point of not only you, but how we are to live as well. Father, we thank you for your people. We thank you for your word. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. You can go ahead and be seated. Thank you so much for that. 
I wonder if there was a time period in your life, maybe when you were going through school, you entered into a class, or you entered and you had a teacher that introduced a concept, and you just, no matter how hard you tried, you could not wrap your mind around it. Um, maybe for you, it was kind of like math class, and you were good with addition and subtraction and multiplication and division. But the moment they introduced letters into the math problem, that was a big problem. Like, you know, you want me to solve for X, Y, and Z? And I'm like, no, thank you. I don't think I will. All right? Or maybe for you, you're a little bit more like me, and it was science class. Like, I was good as we were studying animals and the world and stuff like that. But then all of a sudden, biology and chemistry and physics came into play, and they want me to know about atoms and ions and neutrons and, and protons and any other ions you can think of. Or they wanted me to know about how to H2O and AKGYK. I don't know anything else about that stuff. All right? I kid you not, look, my senior year I took physics class, and uh, my younger sister took the class with me, and it had not been the fact that she was sitting next to me during that class, I would not have made it out alive. I kid you not, it's the truth. But sometimes there are just some concepts that we have a hard time wrapping our minds around. And the concept that John introduced here is also one of those concepts that is difficult for us to wrap our minds around. If I'm honest with you, I struggle with this idea as well. And it happens in the first four words of this verse right here that we get in John chapter 1, verse 14. Here's what it says. The Word became flesh. Like in our minds, we might know this, but the Word became flesh is something that we got a hard time wrapping our minds around today. It would have confused the thinkers of John's day as well, both Greek and Jews alike. For the Greeks, it was this thing of the logos, the Word, the, the one that you know created and orchestrated the heavens and the earth and the universe as you know it. That individual right there has now become flesh. For the Jews, the God that they had been introduced to in the Old Testament, the one that they were now, that John was saying is the Word, the one that's been there since the beginning, John is now telling the Jews, the Word has now become flesh. The Word has now become man. What are we trying to say together today? What's he trying to tell us is the fact that now God, who we know about, who created the heavens and the earth, who created the universe, that, that has now become man, that he is fully God and fully man all at the exact same time. That the one who has all the knowledge and all the power, he didn't put that aside, he still carried on that knowledge and that power, but now he had become a man. Now, I know that can be difficult for us to wrap our minds around with, and I don't know how to necessarily be able to fully be able to explain it, but what I do know is that it's extremely important that God became man. Because when he became man, a couple of things happened for you and for I. You see, when God became man, he became like us. When God became man, he became like us. He kept all of his knowledge, he kept all of his power, but now he took on flesh, he took on human form and everything that that entailed. He would now be able to experience hunger and thirst, the need for rest. He would now be able to experience happiness. He would now know what it was like to experience loss and pain and suffering and grief and hurt just like you and just like me. You ever, you ever gone through something in your life and then you met somebody else who had gone through something similar? And even though you may not have known each other very well, you had this instant connection that took place. Maybe, maybe for you it was, you know what, I experienced the loss of a parent. And then I met somebody else who experienced the loss of a parent as well in a similar way. And then all of a sudden we had this common bond between the two of us. Or, or maybe, there was, maybe there was something that you battled through. Maybe there was a particular struggle or an addiction, and you met somebody else who had a similar addiction, and now all of a sudden you've got this common bond between the two of you. 
I had something similar happen earlier this year. Uh, I, went to go, I went to go see a doctor about, about my middle finger on my right hand, and uh, I thought I had broken it years ago and I needed to have it repaired. Turns out that the doctor tells me that's not the case at all. Uh, you actually have a hereditary disease called Dupontrin's contracture. Now, don't worry, it doesn't sound nearly as bad as what it sounds like, all right? It's not nearly that bad. But basically what it is, is it causes the tendons in your fingers to curl up and not be able to straighten back out. And it was only showing up in one finger in my hand. And I'll be honest with you, when I heard him say that, <laughs> all right, Greg's a loser. <laughs> uh, what, what in the world's going on here? I've got, I now have this disease that I've never heard of that supposedly got handed down by one of my parents, and nobody in my family has it. I've never heard about it. I've never known anybody that has it before. Greg's a freak, all right? That's kind of that's how I felt when I heard that. And so the next week, I'm going around and I'm talking to people and I'm sharing with them kind of what's going on. And I kid you not, that week, I met 10 different people who had the exact same thing going on. And now all of a sudden, we're starting to share stories. We're starting to share, well, you know, somebody else is saying, yeah, it shows up in this finger on my hand, and I've been to see this doctor, and somebody else is saying, oh, yeah, well, I've tried this, pro- I've tried this right here, and this right here is really helping me. And somebody else is saying, I've been to see this doctor, have you been to see this guy? Or we're talking about different uh, outcomes that we may experience. And now all of a sudden, these people who are sharing the same common interest, the same kind of common diagnosis, we've got something in common, and now we're joined together i got to be honest with you, I thought I was all alone. And then there was this comforting feeling to know that there were some people out there who understood what I was going through. You see, when God became man and he became like us, you have a God who now understands. You have a God who understands what you're going through. Going through rejection, he understands. You're going through hurt, he understands. Going through loss, He understands. This is the way that the Hebrew writer put it in Hebrews chapter 4. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. In Jesus We have an assurance that we have a God who became like us and understands everything that we face, everything that we go through, that everything that you tackle in life, everything that life has to throw at you, everything that you may walk through, you have a God, you have a Savior who knows what it's like, who understands and can empathize with what you're going through and can provide help to see you through. And He didn't just come and become like us. He came and made His home among us. We go back to the verse Verse 14, the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. He came and He lived among people. He came and lived among us. He came and had a family. He came and had friends. He came and had a connection with people. People knew Him and He knew people. In this moment and in this time when the Word became flesh and He made His dwelling among us, He was no longer the God that was up there. But He became the God who was down here with us. When God became man, He came He became the God who would come to us. He came to us. In this moment, in this time, in this season, and we read back in John chapter 1, verse 1, John connected us as the readers and connected the the readers of that day. He connected them to the book of Genesis when he said this in verse 1. He said, in the beginning, 
was the Word. We talked about that, remember? Well, here in this verse, in this statement right here, he's not connecting us to the book of Genesis. He's actually connecting us to Exodus. And he's connecting us to the great Exodus that took place with the nation of Israel. You see, the words here that are translated and made his dwelling among us are actually translated as this in another version. It says, it literally means to dwell in a tent among us. We're taking it back a little bit. You see, during this course and during this time in the nation of history of Israel, the original place of worship for the Hebrews was a tent, or what they would call a tabernacle. It was actually a place called the Tent of Meeting, where they would come and they would experience and they would communicate with the presence of God. And it was really important for them that God's presence was housed in a tent or a tabernacle. You see, if they had put it in a building, then the building would have been foundational. The building would have stayed in one place. And any time they moved away from it, they would have been able to move away from the presence of God. But see, their people were constantly moving around. For, for years, they didn't have a land of their own. They had not entered into the promised land yet. And so they were constantly moving, constantly moving around. And so they always needed there to be a tent or a tabernacle that would move around with them. And so everywhere they went, the presence of God was always going to go with them. It wouldn't, they wouldn't be able to walk away from a building, but the presence of God would consistently and continually move with them. And so when John says that Jesus made his dwelling among us, he is saying that Jesus' body was a walking sanctuary with the presence of the living God inside. He lives and goes wherever we go. And so that's the same for tr true for you and I today as well. When it comes to the fact that he came to us, that he came to be with us, that his presence would be with us wherever we go. You see, there's a bad description out there of Jesus that we have to earn our way to get to him. We use the phrase oftentimes that I've got to get to God. There's a bad religion that's out there that says you just got to work enough. That if you do enough good deeds, that if you do enough good things, then you can earn your way to get to God. That there's a way to earn his, his favor. There's a way to earn his love. There's a way to be able to earn his blessing on your life. But that's a bad description of who Jesus is because God didn't sit there and say, you guys come to me. He looked at us saw us, and he's the one who came to us. There's a, there was a story of a young mother and her young son who had moved into a new home. And uh, as they were getting things set up for their first night in the house, uh, she was tucking the little boy in. And it's a new home and a new room by himself, and so he's a little bit nervous about staying there. Uh, you know, he's beginning to hear some of the, some of the new noises in the home and, and not quite, and a little bit uneasy about staying there by himself. And, and so mom's doing everything she can to comfort him, doing everything she can uh, to help uh, make sure that he feels okay. And she just tells him, says, baby, you don't have to worry about it. You just need to know that God's going to be here with you, that God's with you in the room. And the little boy looks back at her and says, yeah, mommy, that may be true, but I need a God I can touch. And I don't know about you, but I've gone, some gone through some stuff in my life that I needed a God I could touch. I needed a God that I knew that was right there with me. And when God became man, and he came to us, he became the God that we could touch. And over 2,000 years ago, in our hour of need, God became man. And became the God that we could touch. And I believe the same is true for us today. That no matter what we're walking through. That no matter what we're going through. That he's the God who comes to us. That he's the God who comes close to us. That he becomes Emmanuel. God with us. And that he sticks close. To sit there and say not only do I understand what you're going through. But you don't have to walk through what you're going through alone. Because I am the God who is with you. I am the God who's come close to you. He's not playing this random game of hide and go seek. Tori, he's asking you to come find him. 
But right now, in this moment, he's the God who comes close to you. Something else happened when God became man. And we pick it up in the next part of the verse. It says this, We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father. You see, when God became man, he became like us. He came to us. But he also revealed the Father for us. When we look at Jesus, we get this beautiful picture of who God the Father is. John and the disciples, they, they walked with Jesus day and night. They looked at him and they saw the glory of God in him. They saw God's qualities in Jesus. They saw God working through Jesus every single day. They saw the glory of God revealed in Jesus when he was baptized. They saw the glory of God in Jesus when he healed sick people. When he opened deaf ears and he opened blind eyes. When he caused the lame to walk. He saw, he saw the glory of God in Jesus every time he interacted with people. He saw the glory of God in Jesus when he raised Lazarus from the dead. He saw the glory of God in Jesus when Jesus got down on his hands and feet and he washed the disciples' feet. He saw the glory of God in Jesus when Jesus himself was resurrected from the dead. He saw the glory of God in Jesus every single day. Not because Jesus was a representation of God. Not because Jesus was a mirror image of God. Not because Jesus was God-like. But he saw the glory of God in Jesus because Jesus is God. He was able to look at Jesus and say, I know God the Father because I know God the Son. And if you and I want to know what God is like, all we have to do is look at the Son. You want to know the heart of God? Then look at the Son of God. You want to know the nature of God? Then look to Jesus. You want to know how, how God views your neighbor and views people that you work with? Look to Jesus. You want to know how God views you and what God says about you? Look to Jesus. You want to know how God wants you to address issues that are going on in our world today? Look to Jesus. Because when Jesus came, when God became man, He came and revealed the Father for us. When God became man, He became like us. He came to us. And He revealed the Father for us. But as He was doing all that, as God became man, He came with a message. A message for you and I that we need to make sure that we hold, hold on to today. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. And we beheld the glory. We have seen His glory. The glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Not one or the other. Not a little more grace and a little less truth. Not sometimes grace or sometimes truth. Not grace to people that we like and truth to people that we don't like. But grace and truth at all times. One without another is an imbalance. The two are not separated and you can't separate the two. You can't have one without the other. Grace is oftentimes defined as the unmerited favor of God. It's us getting what we don't deserve. It's God giving us His grace, giving us His love, giving us His mercy, even though we don't deserve it. Truth is a powerful theme throughout the Gospel of John. It's used about 25 times throughout His Gospel. And what it's doing and what it's referencing, the idea there is that truth is what corresponds to the facts. Truth unveils what is actually there. Now, when we think about grace... We like grace. Grace makes us feel good. 
<laughs> grace makes, uh, okay, I'm taken care of under grace. I love grace. I'm not here today without grace. You're not here today without grace. Every single one of us would take a moment and we would say, I am thankful for the grace of God. But I wonder how sometime in this concept of grace and truth, did grace become the good thing and truth become the bad thing? We like grace. Grace makes us feel good, but truth we kind of struggle with sometimes. It's, you know, truth is tough. Where, where, how, how, can I, how can I give this balance of grace and truth? And as I've been praying and as I've been thinking, this idea kind of comes to mind. We, we like truth until truth doesn't line up with things that we like. I'm tempted to lie, or I'm tempted to twist the truth, or I'm tempted to distort the truth only to try to protect myself from pain or hurt, or embarrassment, or grief, or guilt, that's when I am tempted to, to twist the truth. But when I think about it, as we raise our children, we teach them to tell the truth. When, when you're asked to come and be a witness in, in, in the court, you are expected to tell the truth. Yes, right, you're, you're catching on here. Truth is not this bad concept. But what we've allowed is, is that truth begins to get in the way when it doesn't line up and doesn't help me make me feel good about who I am or what I'm doing. When truth is, it interferes with the way that I want to live my life, that's when I push back on truth. That's when it doesn't seem to make sense to me. You see, a child may be tempted to lie to their parents to avoid getting in trouble, getting grounded. An employee may be tempted to lie to their employer to avoid embarrassment about a mistake they made on a report or to avoid getting fired for a fireable offense. And we think that if we tell the lie, that it will prevent us from experiencing some kind of pain or some kind of guilt or some kind of punishment or some kind of shame. We think that if we can just tell that lie for the moment, that it'll be okay. But what happens is, is that when we tell that lie, we find ourselves imprisoned to that lie. And now we have to go on living as if that lie were actually true and trying to make sure that we keep up this facade of what making that lie truth for everybody else, even though internally we know that it's a lie. We think that the lie will bring us some kind of comfort, but actually what it does is brings us imprisonment. The truth may make us uncomfortable for the moment, but it brings eternal comfort. A beautiful place of where grace and truth collide at the same time is actually captured in John's Gospel again, but in John chapter 8. And if you've been around church, then chances are you, you know this story a little bit. Uh, uh, Jesus is out one day, and the religious leaders, they come, and they, they throw down this woman at Jesus' feet, and they tell, her, they tell him that they've caught her in the act of adultery. Which brings up a whole bunch of questions that we don't have time to really dive into today. But like, you caught her in the act of adultery. Like, how does that happen? Where did you guys come from in the midst of all that? Uh, where, where's the guy in all in all this story? That's a that's a that's a good question as well. But we don't have time to dive into all that. But uh, but there's these questions that rise around. They throw her down. They say she's been caught in the act of adultery, and the law says that she is to be stoned to death for her sins. They ask Jesus, "What do you say?" And Jesus, they say, Scripture says that he just knelt down in the dirt and began writing. We don't really know what he was writing at that point, but he's just writing in the dirt. And the religious leaders are still standing around. They're waiting for an answer. they got their rocks in hand. They're ready to stone her. And he looks up at him. And he says, you without the first sin can cast the first stone. And he goes back to writing. 
Like, what's Jesus writing? I don't know. There's a lot of theories out there. My favorite theory for you is that he's writing down the sins of everybody who gathered that day, writing their sins in the dirt. I don't know why that's my favorite. I think I'm just twisted in the head like that, but that's okay. It's my favorite one, all right? But we don't know what Jesus wrote in the dirt that day. But as he said that, he went back to writing. Scripture tells us that one by one, all those that had gathered that day, they dropped their rocks and they walked away until it's just Jesus and this woman. And he looks at her and he says, where are your accusers? Does no one condemn you? And she says, no, not one. And then he says, well, then neither do I condemn you. Guys, she was guilty, right? There was no lying. There was no way to get out of it. There was no way to get around it. She was caught. She was guilty. And she deserved the punishment that was to come. She deserved death. And then Jesus gives her grace. And it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus does for us as well when he gives us grace. But he doesn't stop there. What I love about this story is that it's not just grace, right? But then he looks at her and he says, go and sin no more. And guys, check this. We oftentimes think about truth as this thing that's coming to condemn us or coming to get us in trouble or coming to punish us. That's not the case at all. The truth was not condemning in this moment. The truth was not a punishment in this moment. But here's what truth did. You see, Jesus gives us grace to forgive us, but he gives us truth to set us free. Jesus gives us grace to forgive us and truth to set us free. Because listen, if he had just said, You're, you know, neither do I condemn you, and walks away, what is she to do in this moment? She probably goes back to life. She probably goes back to living the life that she had always lived. But the thing about it was is that that was never the life that she was designed or created to live. She was never designed or created to live that kind of life, but there is freedom in knowing who you're created by and what you're created to do and how you're created to live. And the truth brings that kind of freedom into our lives. Jesus gives us grace to forgive us and truth to set us free. So what do we do today? What do you and I do today with the words that Jesus gives us that we discover that he is the God who became a man full of grace and truth? For some of us today, the step that we need to take is that we need to receive God's grace. For some of us today in this room and watching online as well, you've jumped in here today and you're still walking around in shame. You're still walking around in guilt. You can come into this, you can come into this room or you can log online and you can worship with the best of them. You know exactly when to lift your hands. You know exactly how to put the smile on your face. You know exactly how to, to pay attention and lean in. But in the back of your mind, you're thinking, okay, all of that's great for all these other people, but not for me. You don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've been involved in. And if you do the real me, you tell me to leave. You tell me to log off this stream right now. The Apostle Paul, who considered himself the chief of all sinners the captain of them. He was one who had gone around persecuting the followers of Christ, even to the point of death. And then God miraculously changed his life. This is what he wrote to the church in Rome. There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. So if you will say yes to Jesus Christ, if you will accept His free gift of grace that we can't earn and we don't deserve, but if you will say yes to His grace, Scripture declares that he will cast your sin as far as the east is from the west. Oftentimes, I don't think that we give grace. It's due diligence. 
we don't understand and we can't wrap our heads around how big God's grace truly is. His grace is large enough. His grace is big enough. What Jesus did on the cross is big enough to cover anything and everything as we turn away from sin and turn to Jesus. We need to receive God's grace. The second thing that we need to do is to respond to God's truth. And for each one of us, that may look a little bit differently today. Responding to God's truth for you today may be some things that it means that you need to stop doing. There's some words that you need to stop speaking. There's some lies you need to stop believing. There's some people you need to stop being around. There's some places you need to stop going. There's a computer screen that you need to turn off. There's a phone that you need to get rid of. For some of us in the room today, there's some things that we need to stop doing. God's been speaking to you. The Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart. And as you, you haven't been wanting, you haven't allowed the truth to confront you. But there's freedom that comes in responding to His truth. For others of us, there may be some things that we need to start doing. I, I need to start opening up God's Word and allowing Him to speak to me daily. I need to, I need to get some accountability. I need to get some coaching. I need to start serving in a ministry. Today's the day that you allow the truth to confront your life and you respond to His truth. Because the other truth is this. When we get the description right, we know who Jesus is. When we push back on the wrong descriptions and we get the right description, we can know who He is. That Jesus is the God of the whole world who is both personal and eternal. Well, that knocks out a few. Jesus is the creator of the whole world who is both light and life. Well, that takes out a few more. Jesus is the light of the world. Okay, knocks out a few. Jesus is our rejected Messiah who became our redeeming Savior. Well, I know, I know some people don't live up to that. And then Jesus is the God who became a man full of grace and truth. You see, when we get the description right, there's only one left standing. When we get the description right, we don't have to guess who Jesus is. We can know him. You can know him today. Would you bow your heads with me as we pray? This morning, right here today, I've got two questions for you. First question is this. There are some people in this room, there are some people watching online that need to respond to God's grace. Maybe for the very first time, but you walked into this place, you logged online, and you're still filled with shame, still filled with guilt, because you've never truly, genuinely said yes to a relationship with Jesus Christ. You've never accepted what He's done for you on that cross. When He went to the cross, when He surrendered, when He sacrificed His life, He did it for you, He did it for me, He did it so that we might have life and have it to the full. Today, you don't have to walk out of this place the same way you came in. All you have to do is say yes to Him and receive his grace. Receive His love. So if that's you today, I promise you I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you I'm not going to call you out. But if that's you today and you need to respond to God's grace, will you just raise your hand? 
right where you're at today? Yeah, yeah. Hands up, hands up. Yes, yes, yes. Any others? Any others? Any others? Can we, can we, can, can we just celebrate those that are saying yes to Jesus today? Receiving that grace. Second question, and then we're going to pray. How many of you say, you know what? God's truth. I need to respond today. There's some things in my life that God showed me that I need to stop doing. There's some things I need to start doing. But today, right here today, I'm making a decision to respond to God's truth. If that's you, would you raise your hand right where you're at this morning? Amen. Amen. Hands up everywhere. Hands up everywhere. Hands up everywhere. Let's pray together. Father, we love you today. We thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for how you are shaping and changing us. Father, we pray right now for those that are receiving your grace. Church, I'm going to ask if you would to just repeat this prayer as we pray this together for those that are saying yes to Christ. Dear Jesus, I thank you that you love me and that you are willing to accept my life. That you're willing to give me grace. Today, I admit that I'm a sinner and I've messed up. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you surrendered your life on the cross, and that you were resurrected from the dead. I confess that you are Lord of my life, and my life belongs to you. Father, I thank you for the grace that you're giving in this room right now. God, I thank you for the truth of your word, and as we respond to your truth, God, you are setting us free. You give us grace to forgive us, and you give us truth to set us free. God, help us to walk in that freedom today. Father, we love you. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to pray a blessing over you out of Isaiah chapter 43, verses 18 and 19. Here's what it says. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Some of us in today, we need to hear that. Receive that today. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. He is making a way in your life. He is doing a new thing. I bless you with those words today. Now go in the mighty name of Jesus and make Jesus known to your world. Amen and amen. Thanks so much for listening to this week's Upward Journey. If you would like to find out more about Upward Christian Fellowship in Flat Rock, North Carolina, you can look up our website at ucf.cc or like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Upward Christian Fellowship. We invite you to join us next week as we continue the Upward Journey.